0: There, I'm Dr. Susie Green, founder and CEO of the Positivity Institute, a positively deviant organization dedicated to creating a flourishing world. And it's my pleasure to welcome you back to the Positivity Prescription Podcast Series 2. The series is based on my 6M model of flourishing, which includes six core capabilities that I believe, and decades of research supports, are essential in creating a flourishing life. So join me as I talk to experts from around the globe about the six M's, mood, motivation, might, meaning, mindfulness, and mindset. They'll share their experiences and insights together with practical strategies to proactively improve your mental health and well-being. So let's get started. Yannick Jacob is an existential coach, a positive psychologist, Coach, trainer, and supervisor and mediator. He's the program director of the certificate in integrative coaching at the School of Positive Transformation. And until 2018, he was the program leader of the MSc coaching psychology and faculty at the University of East London's popular MAPCP program. Yannick's love for coaching positive existential thought and personal development is contagious and he loves to challenge people to think, learn and grow, to explore the big questions and to appreciate the whole spectrum of what life has to offer. Well, hello, Yannick. Thanks so much for joining us today.
1: Hello, Susie. It's a real pleasure to be here and talking to you tonight. Well, tonight, this morning.
0: (laughs) That's right. And you're in the UK, close to London?
1: Yeah, that's correct. I'm in London, uh, East, East Central, still. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> East Central. We were just reminiscing in preparation for the conversation today, Yannick. that uh, the last time that we actually, uh, well, I guess uh, we're in the same place at the same time was at the University of East London pre-COVID. I think it was 2019. And uh, whilst we, d- we didn't actually get to connect because uh, we saw each other from a distance, I think. Was that right?
1: <laughs> yeah, I think we both didn't really expect the other person to be there. And then, you know, I, I saw you and I think you spotted me and then we're like, oh, but the, the, we were in the middle. of a a lecture. And then afterwards, I had to dash out really quickly to go see a client. But that's when we literally saw each other for the first time in person.
0: Exactly, exactly. And of course, I was uh, familiar um, with you and your work, and particularly relating to existential coaching. And uh, of course, today's interview, the focus is on meaning, which is one of our six Ms. Mm -hmm. And uh, last year, we were really fortunate to have Professor Michael Steger, who I know you have just, well, in conjunction, I guess, with the book that i I've been involved with uh, written a chapter on uh, meaning in positive psychology coaching.
1: Yes, that that was a real pleasure to work with Mike because uh, obviously I started running into Mike at conferences um, around the world. Um, We must have met at some point uh, as well, I I reckon, but like that's how that uh, kind of collaboration came together you know you started building a relationship uh, mike is a fellow existentialist as well at heart I think even yeah. though he went more into the research of meaning um, sector but we we kept in touch and when this opportunity came around to write more about meaning-centered work particularly coaching work which is um, what I'm very passionate about uh, we uh, very quickly connected because I love applying the meaning frameworks that he created and our conversations are always very fruitful so that was that was that was great
0: Yes, and and usually very lively, and usually very humorous. I would add with Mike.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Indeed, yes.
0: Even even when we're discussing the big questions <laughs> in life. You know. So, yeah, so really wonderful to have you here today and uh, to hear more about your approach to meaning and also very keen to hear about the integration into a coaching context, given that is mm-hmm. a real, real area of expertise. And uh, I was also reflecting with you prior to coming onto the call today that, you know, these questions or these big questions for me have become i guess more meaningful if you like uh, as uh, as i'm growing older and i guess maturing one would hope and and growing in in wisdom as i you know. <laughs> start to, to take uh, bigger perspectives on on my life as as a whole so far and uh, up to now and, and, and into the future. So this is an area I'm really, really really interested in and, mm. as you would know, is becoming more and more popular within coaching, within that framework that both the late, great Tony Grant referred to as third-generation coaching and also our colleague, Professor Reinhard Stelter, has done some mm-hmm. work around third-generation yes. coaching. So where coaching is not specifically just performance focus, which it had been for many, many years, but now enables us to have these bigger types of conversations around meaning.
1: Yes, and this uh, is such an important wave of coaching. And I'm I'm really grateful to the gentleman you mentioned, because coaching started off as a very performance kind of uh, enhancing tool. And with that kind of third wave, uh, we're having more dialogues with people, we're talking about things that matter. And when we talk about things that matter, we're in the area of meaning. And I think uh, time does that not just uh, time in terms of when we get older, but like the more time passes and the more we are aware that we may not have an infinite amount of time, we then inevitably start asking ourselves questions around how well am I using my time, particularly the little time that I have left potentially, you know, and every uh, birthday is a reminder that we're now one day, one year closer to our inevitable demise. And then we start thinking about how can I make the best out of the time that I have left? And those are the questions and the conversations that are really important when we want to have made good use of our time on this planet or in this company or in this relationship or in this conversation.
0: Yes it's so true and I usually you know reflect on the idea that when we look at the the history of time that we're really only here for a dot really aren't we a little dot in, mm-hmm. in space that is the amount of time that we consume when you look at that long line of history uh here and of course covid in many ways has i guess brought to the forefront of many people's um, minds or thinking around what really matters in life too Would would you agree mm-hmm.
1: Absolutely. Um, the pandemic brought out all of the existential themes uh, as I see them. And um, without getting too much w- what is in there, I think one of the things that it's, it's done for us is uh, made us really think about how we live our lives. If we were lucky, you know, if someone was lucky, then uh, the government helped us to uh, create it some time for us. Maybe we couldn't go to work, yeah. but we wouldn't be starving. We're sitting at home and we have a lot of time to think about, what is this? Many people realize that, oh, maybe this job that I'm doing, that I'm now not doing, now I have time to think, yes. maybe it's not something that fulfills me and that I want to do. Yes. you know. And then obviously a lot of people have lost their whole industries. So I have a lot of friends in the events industry and all of a sudden your whole industry is no more. So then you're sitting at home and thinking, well, who am I without my job? How much of my identity was what I was getting paid for or what I could tell people I do for a living? I mean, you go... To a dinner party, and somebody asks you, I mean, dinner parties, but like somebody asks you, what do you do? You know, then usually we're expected to uh, um, tell them about what we're getting paid for as a job, you know, and the question is just so much broader. I wish people would be asking each other, what is meaningful to you, or what do you enjoy doing, or what does your heart uh, set on fire for? These are questions that lead to much more interesting conversations. And when you have them, even in the workplace, even if it's a performance conversation. In my experience, you get out a lot more of the person who's sitting in front of you. You get better performance if you connect connected to something that matters.
0: It's so true, Yannick, isn't it? And I've just returned from a seven-day health retreat and one of the instructions that they give when you first arrive is, please don't ask people about their work because um, in general, mm. They're often there because they're burnout and they're trying to take some time off and not think about work. But I also reflected on what you just said that it really allowed for some much deeper conversations to occur beyond the work, which is as you said, we just normally that's our go-to question, "What do you do?" But I also have been reflecting too, and because having worked clinically in the early part of my career for many years, I discovered fairly early on that when people did stop, you know, and they did stop and they did reflect, and then we asked some of these deeper uh, questions, that there was a lot of discomfort that often occurred. And I guess I'm curious whether you've noticed that through COVID, as you said, when people perhaps have that time and space, that whilst these questions from yours and my perspective are important because it really is about what makes our lives matter, but they can also cause a lot of discomfort for people when they start Mm. to realise that there's some incongruence between what they know at a very deep level that matters to them and that their life doesn't really reflect that. Have you observed (sighs) that as
1: well? Yeah, I've certainly observed that. Uh, sometimes meditation gets a bad rap mm-hmm. uh, because of something like that. It's because people start sitting uh, in more stillness or they, they're sitting with their emotions and they, they're tapping into something that sits deeper. And then maybe they realize what I'm living, the way I'm living my life, maybe is not aligned with what I believe in and what's important to me. And that's a real issue for people. And people expect that there must be this big purpose, this big why. And if you haven't found it yet, then somehow you're not doing it well. And I think that's one of the most important distinctions that I I, I like to make in the kind of meaning area is that it doesn't have to be this huge, all-encompassing why. You You don't have to have found your purpose in life. You know, some people start talking about destiny. What am I here for? And they expect that there has to be this one answer, ideally clear and ideally in the form of a sentence or a statement you know this is why i'm here for this is why i'm in this world this is what i was born for and the research and meaning shows very clearly that you can go into an experience any experience and create meaning literally choose that that is meaningful to you right now so You don't have to find something that's meaningful to you and then hold on to that for the rest of your life. You can literally find something that's meaningful in the next moment and then in the next moment and then in the next moment. And I find that when you're really present with what you're doing and you uh, have learned to take a step back and look at your life from a different perspective, from a broader perspective, you can literally create meaning in anything that you want. You can connect it to something else that's meaningful to you. You can look at what my strengths are or what my beliefs are. You take a look at your relationships. You take a broader look at work and you figure out, well, what is meaningful to me? here, regardless of all the messages of what's supposed to be meaningful. And if you develop the courage to set yourself apart from what perhaps the societal message or the message from your parents or from your workplace or from the TV is about what's supposed to be meaningful, then you start creating some real meaning in your life. And that's nobody can ever take that away from you. Because if it feels meaningful, it is meaningful.
0: I love that, Yannick. I love that approach, and I often differentiate, and I have for many years with clients, because I started to discover that that there were some, there were some people, and there are that that are on this pursuit of what is the meaning of of my life, but there mm-hmm. are many people, as you said, that are looking for more meaning in in their lives. So that distinction's been really helpful to me in my own life and in my clients' lives. But you've you've sort of tapped into a question I was going to ask you around what what does meaning mean mean to you, and how is uh-huh. it similar or different to, to purpose, which, as you would know from the research, there are some differences that are made often between meaning and purpose. Yeah. What, what's your approach to meaning? Um, I guess, whether that's uh, scientifically or, or perhaps more so from a practical perspective. Yeah,
1: for me, they always both come together through my work with people from an existential perspective, it's all very practical. All the research goes out the window when you talk to a person, because they might just be the outlier. They <laughs> might just be True. the what we would statistically eliminate to get a good research result. Yeah. You know, it, you cannot eliminate the person who's sitting in front of you. No. You know, if they say this stuff doesn't work for me, then it, you need to let it go and work with whatever they're coming in with. Yeah. So that's kind of um, uh, my, I'm evidence-based, but you know, in the end, uh, you need to talk to the person and figure help them figure out what is when we talk about meaning versus purpose i think the main differentiator for me is time purpose works under the umbrella of meaning but it's something that is towards the future there's a motivation to go somewhere there. In German, we say, uh, "Zweck." Uh, what is this good for? You know, um, right. what is going to happen uh, when we do this? You know, so purpose is always towards, it's always towards the future. And people draw their meaning from that. But meaning can exist in the present. You can be, anybody who is into mindfulness meditation, or you can find meaning in moments. And that doesn't necessarily have anything to do with a purpose because it just is right now. And the future doesn't matter to a meaningful moment. You can find meaning in the past when you, for example, uh, savor or you reminisce yes. about something that was meaningful in the past. And it has such a uh, powerful effect when, like, my wife loves to watch our wedding video, for example. Aww. <laughs> it's, it's her absolute happy place, you know, and yeah. it's so meaningful. And every time we watch it, there's something new that we can literally bathe in. You know, it's such a positive intervention. But when you look at purpose, you look at the future. And it's a very powerful magnet for many people. Uh, Simon Sinek's Start With Why yeah. has blown up for quite a long time. And I think it's very important work. And uh, that's probably the the single most powerful work that I see applied in organizations. Organizations is to help leaders, but also anybody throughout the organization, figure out what drives them so that you can connect what you as a person care about, what's deeply meaningful to you, what you're working towards, what kind of impact you want to have. And then look at what is the organization's mission statement and purpose statement. What are they there to impact in the world? And if it's a well recruited organization, then that align. You know, what the people of the organization believe in is also what the organization has set on their sales. And when that comes together, you have a very, very powerful organization uh, where the people are so committed. They go the extra mile, they take less sick leave, they make more sales, they have a better culture. You know, people would want to work for the organization, they're more productive. Everything seems to be better when you are aligned with that meaning, either now or the purpose towards the future.
0: Yes, there's certainly research to support that. And I think it is in many cases, and everyone I've been speaking to lately are just. Busier than ever is what I'm hearing, and I'm not entirely sure why that is. Um, with uh, many people returning to the office, and perhaps it's the hybrid model. I'm not sure what it is. There's probably multiple factors, but I often find that there's there's rarely the space, or as you know. We refer to in coaching that self-reflective space, but even within a team setting, where is that space for people to to talk about their why, if you like, and then the alignment <coughs> to the organisation? Um, and of course, that's also relying on psychological <coughs> safety, because I know I've had clients in the past that have said, "There's no way I want to talk about these things at work with my boss or or my team." So I would assume that you know it's all on the foundation of uh, high levels of psych safety that people can have these. Yeah conversations at work would you agree <sighs> yeah it it depends
1: a little bit it takes a strong culture meaning is deeply personal right yes. um Not necessarily because you can have this kind of find your why workshop or and then people come up with, oh, I want to make the world a better place or I want to have a positive impact on my community. And, you know, these are things that are easy to say, but it's harder to really tap into. And this is the challenge for coaches is to have those conversations, to really tap into that meaning that is deeply personal, that Mm -hmm. they're not afraid to kind of put out there. So if you want to have more of these conversations, I think you need to create, as you say, a a, a place of psychological safety Mm -hmm. and a way to uh, open that space so that people can tell each other what's meaningful. And that can't be an exercise that you just do because you think it's going to help productivity. (laughs) You know, it has to be embodied. Somebody needs to come in and open that space and people need to sense that this person is for real. You know, they're, they're authentic in their endeavor to create a space to talk about what's meaningful here. You know, that's why we need those kind of leaders who who are open enough and human enough and vulnerable enough to say, this is what I believe in. And this is my vision for this company or this organization. This is the kind of impact that I want to make. And then the people who will find that meaningful naturally flock behind. Now, when an organization gets beyond a certain size, it's easy for more and more people to slip through because the paycheck is good or the brand is great or it's just convenient. So this is where I think the biggest difference is uh, the recruiters, you know, to really grasp what an organization's why is, what their meaning is, what their sense of purpose is, why do they exist? And then get the people on board who are aligned with that because skills can be learned, but a sense of meaning and purpose and being aligned with your mission and your vision, that's very difficult to teach.
0: Yes, absolutely. So true, Yanni. Mm-hmm. Uh, firstly, I loved your time orientation approach to meaning, which I haven't really thought about in that way before or, or even sent anything published. And there may be, I'm not sure, but I love that you know, in terms of the past, the present and, and the future, particularly uh, with purpose. But I also loved your connection of mind, mindfulness or mindful moments where you can be mindful of how is this moment meaningful or how does it connect to as you said, my, my values or or my beliefs. And uh as you know, mindfulness is one of our another one of the six M's and we often refer to it as Professor Felicia Huppert did many years ago as the foundation of flourishing. Because if you mm. haven't got that level of mindfulness, it's hard to notice those or, or make mm-hmm. those connections, isn't it? And um that's a lovely connection you've made there with um, mindfulness and meaning. Um, In terms, I know you do like the research, but I'm fairly new to, I guess, the existential approach. Is there anything, any specific research or perhaps, uh, I know later on I'm going to ask you for some recommendations on books, but for somebody like myself that's sort of new to this path of the existential approach, what would you recommend or what does the research tell us, if there is any, and... and Perhaps mm-hmm. it's, it's difficult to do research, I'm not quite sure, but anything you can share with us from, I guess, a scientific or academic perspective around this topic?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, Um the, the existentialists are not super big on all the research, right? Because uh, they're generally um, challenging dogma. And it's more of a, an approach where you are... Existentialists look at what it means to be human in the world with other people. You know, so well, that's why it started as a philosophy. Because... In the absence of being able to measure what it means to be human in the world with other humans, uh, how do you find out, how do you create knowledge around this? Mm -hmm. And that's why existentialists use philosophy. And philosophy has different uh, methods of, of creating that kind of knowledge. So a lot has been written about meaning. Uh, however, the kind of uh, more academic, quantitative research methods—let's put some numbers on this and measure it—that's not really what existentialists are interested in, because everybody's experience of being human is unique in that way, yes. and it is characterized by something that all humans have in common, and that's what the existentialists kind of brought out: is those those existential givens that uh, there is something around meaning and. Meaninglessness. There's this inherent absurdity often in the world. Like things just don't often make sense. How many people have spent a lifetime in looking for an answer where maybe there isn't an answer? We are so far as a species because we have this urge to make sense of the world and make it whole and make it coherent. And we just can't do it. Our our brains are too small. We can't possibly comprehend the vastness of the universe. We, we already have difficulty comprehending exponential growth. So it's really uh, difficult for us to really grasp that. But that's part of the human condition that, you know, maybe there isn't a sense of it all. Maybe there isn't a universal power. Maybe it doesn't all make sense on some level. Maybe some things are just random. But the thing is that we'll never know. It's impossible to know. And this not knowing this uncertainty is again, part of the fabric of our lives. So we have, we find ourselves as human beings having to make decisions, being forced to make decisions, you know, not making a decision is a choice in itself. Mm -hmm. So we're forced, to make these choices, we have this freedom in the face of not knowing how things are going to turn out if we choose the, the, this, that, or the other. And, you know, research can help us to increase our level of certainty, but we will never be fully certain. So these are some of the elements that the existentialists uncovered. Nobody can ever fully, truly understand my experience of being human. I can coach somebody for, uh, you know, 20,000 hours, I can be married for 80 years, and I still will not fully understand the experience of this other person. All the art, all the books in the world won't be able to communicate really what the experience of the artist was. Everybody looks at a painting in a different way. So it's difficult for us humans to sit with. All of these, they cause anxiety. We have this existential anxiety that
0: never quite goes away. Well, there's always a baseline. Exactly, and as you would know through COVID, I mean, this uncertainty which is encompassed within the the term VUCA that was used extensively, mm-hmm. the volatile, uncertain, complex, ambiguous world, that uncertainty was one of the largest issues that people sat with, with not knowing you know, how long the lockdowns were going to go on, when we were going to get a vaccine. Nice. And um, that was very distressing for for many, many people. And Mm -hmm. I I love this, again, this existential approach in, in terms of a large part of it, if I'm understanding it correctly or in my understanding, is that it's about accepting that there are some things that are not knowable or that we have to, as you said, move forward or progress or make decisions without the certainty or with with the not knowing existing simultaneously. So it seems to me that now more than ever, we probably need to learn more about the existential approach to help people, given we're going to be living in times where there's going to be extreme levels of uncertainty.
1: Absolutely. I mean, the speed of development is nauseating. Where we were 50 years ago, the jump before was 200 years ago. I mean, 100 years ago, we we didn't have computers. 150 years ago, there weren't any cars. We only had the internet for so long and YouTube only existed since 2005, 2008, (laughs) something like that. It's incredible. So, we naturally uh, aim for avoiding discomfort. And so, if somebody reminds us of endings, you know, everything ends, including our lives. And we, even that is not certain anymore. We, you know, we might find a cure for this, you know, decaying of body nonsense. <laughs> we just don't know anymore. So, in these VUCA times, when we just don't know the constants anymore, that can be really unsettling. And I think unsettling really fits as the existential experience. You know, we, we often feel kind of unsettled by things. And then that unsettled feeling can blow into this uh, popular existential crisis. You know, when all of a sudden we don't really have that grounding anymore and we don't know and we would like rather like to know. <laughs> and how often do people create uh, realities, even though it's bogus, just to have something to hold on to that is an explanation, yeah. you know, and then we, we kind of stop asking too many questions because it's better to have an explanation than to not have an explanation. <laughs>
0: Exactly. And it it seems to me to align beautifully with acceptance and commitment therapy or training Mm -hmm. in terms of, I guess, their focus on the importance of of values and being able to sit with discomfort and still move in a values congruent direction. So do you see connections there with, I guess, the existential philosophical approach and and act-based approach?
1: Yeah, I'm not an expert in ACT, but everything that I came across so far really, really resonated. So existentialists always encourage you to commit to something, you know, and that's the choice. Like literally commitment is the act of choosing that something is meaningful to you, you know, regardless of what that is and regardless of what somebody else says, you committing to something makes it meaningful to you. Right. because it's so meaningful to you that you can commit to this and it literally doesn't matter like what happened before as soon as you commit the act makes that meaningful and there's I think very few stronger sources of motivation for people as soon as you commit you've got skin in the game you know and because of that you created meaning and now it's meaningful it's so easy
0: <laughs> yes. Look, it's so inter- interesting for me to ponder these questions, but they are big questions. And as you know, Yannick, mm-hmm. uh, some of the work that we do and an area that I am I actually describe as my most meaningful work is our work in positive education in, in schools. How do you see such big topic and these big questions around mm-hmm. meaning and existentialism? You know, how do we bring that into, particularly with young people? Where do we start with young people? Do you? What are your thoughts around that?
1: Yeah, that's that's actually where I went into after my degree in positive psychology. I, I actually started teaching a well-being curriculum at schools for, it was like six hours a week back then. My former professors, now colleagues and friends of mine, uh, Nash Popovich, Luna Bonneville, Lucy Ryan, they had written a curriculum inspired or informed by positive psychology. But then also there was a lot of, uh, a lot of philosophy in there and a lot of personal and social development. So we had a good few lessons in there that particularly educated young people about meaning and different forms of meaning and how can you create meaning and why is it important to even talk about it. And, I broke my heart that it had so many difficulties to catch on because the main challenge was what do we take out of the national curriculum to put yes. this kind of stuff in? It seems to have been expected of teachers to put all of the important stuff and integrate it into how they teach their subject. Okay. You know, So it usually was around to the, the English teacher and whatever other language you're, you're teaching, the literature. And then uh, hopefully we could pick up on the themes of meaning in literature because all of the existential themes, particularly Meaning are in every good story that we tell. But it's not really the topic at the head of the lesson to say we're gonna learn about meaning now and why it matters. And I wish that would be done more. And I had to step out of the education space at some point just because I had 15 other projects and I had to, (laughs) you know, at some point do work that pays. Uh, At that time of my life, I just couldn't I couldn't sustain doing all of this work anymore without it getting fruited. i you I think you've done a lot of good work. I've seen you you uh, recently started a mastermind with school leaders. So I see mm. a lot of great work being done, particularly in Australia. In Finland, uh, there's a really good uh, new approach to education. So there's, there's a lot of work being done. And I, with great interest, I see the, the field grow. And part of my heart still weeps that I'm not in it anymore because I, I chose a slightly different focus. But I very much support the positive education field and I can see it develop, which is great to see
0: Yes it will be interesting to see particularly around the introduction and, and as you said discussions around meaning for children and young people because when we look at the significantly and increasing rates of mental illness and we often know with the disorder such as depression that there's a sense of meaninglessness. Mm-hmm. So I think again we yeah. use this term now more than ever do we need to be having these discussions with children and young people around meaning.
1: Absolutely. And this is like part of the research. The research is very strong. Like, Not only is meaning built into the fabric of happiness, which we've seen uh, through well-being theories such as PERMA or Riffin Key's psychological well-being, but I I remember Martin Seligman mentioning a study that they've done in the U.S. Army where they found that, I think it was something like the bottom 5% of my life is meaningful or I have meaning in my life, where also the highest uh, percentage in likely to commit suicide. Mm -hmm. Mm. And I remember him saying that we are close to predicting suicide. I think that's where the words that he used. And this was 10 years ago.
0: I recall that. Yes. No, it surprises me that we haven't sort of had made those connections a a lot more strongly. But yeah, right. Let's it seems so obvious. It certainly does, and and similarly, when I've used the VIA, the Values in Action Inventory, you know, when people, clinical clients I've worked with over the years, when I I look at uh, the ratings and the the bottom five, hope, you know, and that that sense of if hope is in the bottom five, mm-hmm. that's also an alert to yes. me that there are potentially some concerns around mm-hmm. their mental health as well. So I uh, know we haven't got a lot of time, Yannick, but I'm um, really keen to hear about your own. Personal experience with exploring meaning? Uh, are there any sort of approaches or what's helped you understand the role of meaning or purpose in your life? Yeah, Oof.
1: where do I start? <laughs> 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 I think when I'm reflecting on this, the word that comes up the most for me is courage. Yes. The courage to face the difficult questions around meaning. It is a courageous act to question your sense or your maps of meaning, your framework that gives meaning to your life. Because it's so easy to like everybody's been given meaning frameworks our parents tell us what matters your boss tells you what matters like your media tells you what matters you pick up all of these messages that tell you what is meaningful in your life or what's supposed to be meaningful in your life what is a meaningful existence we have an understanding of what that means and to question that bears the possibility of that being shaken or possibly taken away from you you know and that can be really unsettling for people. If you ask a question about that as a coach, you you kind of rattle on the rug that they're standing on. Yes. You know? And Somebody who's going on that quest, I have a massive amount of respect for already, you know, the courage to ask yourself a question, whether what you believe in is actually what you believe in, or maybe it's somebody else's idea. And so I think that's one of the most important characteristics to foster and to practice is the courage to choose your own meaning, you know, to go and do things like what feels right to you regardless of what the others think and because we're such social animals it's really difficult to go against what somebody else is thinking because we crave this harmony but we're not really gonna live an authentic life if we don't have the courage to do that and we're also not gonna build the next multi-million dollar company if we're not having the courage to go things differently how I think they should be done you because like if we do things differently we stick out it's a challenging experience because other people will want to challenge that because if you're doing some things differently that means the other people who do things differently now they're like oh why why is that person doing it differently maybe maybe i'm wrong or something you know so there's a lot of courage around meaning
0: Yes, I couldn't agree more. Again, having had the privilege of working with many clients over the years, I would often reflect to them that this is a courageous journey that you're on, is to um, firstly take the time out to stop and reflect on what matters most in your life and then potentially to do things differently because people sometimes, as you said, like you the way you are and they're not that happy when you start doing things that uh, don't work Mm -hmm. potentially uh, as well as they did in terms of that relationship. So it's certainly a very courageous journey and uh, and I know we don't have time today Yannick but it sounds like you've made some courageous decisions yourself in your own life so we are coming towards the end of the podcast interview and I usually ask for a recommendation uh, whether it's a book or a podcast for anyone interested in the topic of men generally or perhaps your favorite topic around existential approaches
1: Yeah, there was one book that really stuck out when I thought about meaning and I thought about existential and I thought about the workplace, which is uh, David White's, uh, that's W-H-Y-T-E, Crossing the Unknown Sea. And David is just such a poet nice. i i like just reading the book it was a joy to just read the words sometimes i even read sentences out loud just because it it's just so such beautiful language but Really, he tells the story of how he was seeking uh, meaningful work. And he's just a beautiful storyteller. But really, it's a book about work. But it's embedded in these beautiful reflections on what is meaningful and how can you navigate that path? Uh, What does the word career even mean? And how can you move forward and, and develop the courage to find out what really resonates with you. So I would would recommend anybody to read Crossing the Unknown Sea. And if somebody wants to understand the existential givens a bit better, uh, Irvin Yalom is a a fantastic writer and he has written a lot of stories from his own therapy practice. Uh, But the academic textbook would be Existential Psychotherapy, which was written in 1980. And it's not your usual academic work. It's actually really, uh, really beautiful to read, but that will give you the understanding of what the existential. Uh, human condition uh, means.
0: Yes, I'll certainly be ordering that textbook. As, as I was saying to you in my uh, journey as a psychologist and uh, coach over the years, it's very difficult to get across all the areas that you have an interest in and, and existential psychotherapy was brought to my attention very early on in my career as a psychologist, but it's something that I'm certainly going to return to. So I'll I'll certainly mm. be looking at that book and very familiar uh, with, with Yalom uh, being a leader in that field. Interesting that you mentioned David White because only – Last week, I took delivery of uh, a book of his by the name of Consolations, which was recommended to me. Now, I haven't even opened it yet. It's sitting out there on my uh, dining table at the moment. So, uh, yes, I'd be very keen to look at both of those books, Crossing the Unknown Sea and, and Consolations.
1: Fantastic.
0: Yeah. So thank you so much, Yannick, for joining us and sharing your wisdom on this topic. It is a topic, as I said, I would love, I'm looking forward to learning more about, looking forward to hearing you speak at, uh, we've got an upcoming conference, uh, looking forward to you speaking at that conference and the Workplace Coaching Summit, but also looking forward to connecting again when we can in person, whether that's in the UK or perhaps here in Australia, Yannick, at some point.
1: Yes, me too. We've got a conference in Iceland to catch up on and to uh, shape the positive right. psychology coaching field a little more.
0: <laughs> we certainly do. So looking forward to that. So thank yes. you so much. And uh, I hope you enjoy the rest of your evening.
1: Thank you. I really appreciate your curiosity and the way that you facilitate conversations. So uh, please keep doing what you do. It's a very important work. And uh, thank you for the platform
0: very much for listening to the positivity prescription podcast series two and if you'd like to learn more head to our website the to purchase a copy of my first book for the public the positivity prescription you can also sign up for our e-news where you can stay up to date with all things positive see you next episode and remember life's too short to languish